Anybody but me feeling anxiety about the future? Okay, I'm the only one that's anxious. I'll just get on my knees and ask for forgiveness for being anxious. Um, I am going to the Lord because we're not supposed to be anxious. Um, but there's a, I, I got to admit, I'm, I got a lot of anxiety inside of me about the vote coming up, the future of our country, um, the pandemic getting worse. Uh, please, please, right? No matter what you think of President Trump and his wife, please pray for them. You know, they're people first. And um, I don't want to be leaderless right now. And so we need to pray that they will rise up and be healed and, and move on. But uh, you feel a lot of anxiety about voter fraud and all that kind of jazz? I, I have to control my panic. I do. I'm like, I got to do something about it. I got to get out there and do something about it. Here's what we do about it. Um, we have, you vote. All we can do is get out there and vote, right? All we can do is get out there and do our part. And just a reminder that tomorrow is the end of uh, voter registration in our area here. So um, if you haven't registered to vote, you need to do that. And um, the good people at Advance America that we've had a long-term relationship with Eric Miller and his whole team down representing uh, the Church of Jesus Christ um, down in Indianapolis, they have provided us with these 2020 voter guides. This is nonpartisan, okay? This is just the facts about who's running for what office and how you can be informed so that you can vote properly, okay? So you need to vote your heart. You need to vote your principles. You need to vote biblical principles as, as close as you can and uh, make all that happen. But here's, so these are available. They're at the connection point. You can go out there and pick them up or pick them up for, for several people if you want and hand them out to different people. We've got like a couple thousand of them. And so um, we have those available to you. But we sang a song, we, t we learned a song today. And the song lyrics go like this. Um, the darkness knows your voice. Because it drove it back before. And I have never thought of things that way until this morning when we were rehearsing that song. I'm like, that's right. When God decided to create the heavens and the earth, the the, it was dark, and darkness covered the face of the earth, and he drove out the darkness and brought the light and created the light. And so for those of us who know him, we are full of hope, right? Right? We are full of hope that no matter what darkness comes our way or what we see the darkness coming, the darkness knows his voice. Because he drove it out before, he will drive it out again, and we possess the light of Jesus Christ inside of us in the form of the Holy Spirit of God. And where there is light, there is no darkness because light chases away the darkness. That's, that's something to praise the Lord about. Here's another thing that we're saying. One word from you, God, because you are the author of all things, and all things bow at your command, one word from you, and things will change on your authority. My friends, I don't know what you're going through, but the things of the world, Satan and his attack, and the things of the world have no authority over your life. 
They don't have authority over your mind. They don't have authority over your heart. They don't have authority over your emotions. They don't have authority over your future. God, all he has to do is speak one word and all things will change at his authority. Nothing, that song said, will deny him the glory that is his. Tuck that away when you're anxious. Tuck that away when you don't understand the future. Tuck that away when you don't understand what you're going through right now in your world and in your life. God, the only one true God, is still on the throne, and he's not having a bad day, and he's not perplexed, and he's not worried. He's got everything under control. I was reading Romans 13, and Romans 13 says, listen, when it comes to authorities and leadership in the world, You need to understand, Paul says, it is God who establishes all those in authority. Now that's a little scary because the other scripture tells us that he even uses the wicked in the world for his purposes to accomplish his will in the earth as it is in heaven. And that scares us because that affects our comfort zone. But God is in control and we don't need to be worried. So let me pray right now as we jump into God's word that he'll work in us. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth because the truth sets us free from anxiety, sets us free from worrying about all the things that are out of our control and we entrust it all to you because you are trustworthy and we're thankful for that. I thank you for your word and that we stand on it and we apply it to our lives and so as we open it today, I pray that it will do its work and changes from the inside out. Bring salvation to somebody here today who needs it. And that's my prayer today in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you ready? Yeah, one person is ready. James chapter two. As I was working on this, it reminded me of a song that I learned whenever I was a kid. And if you have been around church at all um, for mo- any of your life, really, I, mean, I think they still sing this song. Uh, you learned this when you were a child, and it goes like this. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. You do know it. You do it. Say amen. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. Amen. Oh, yeah, you're really getting into it. And then it was like, if you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it. All right, very good. Then it went to, if you're saved and you know it, stomp your feet. All right, now the part I loved whenever I was a kid was do all three. Okay, if you're saved and you know it, do all three. Amen. If you're saved and, come on, know it, do all three. Amen. All right, I'm so proud of you. That is so good. You all know your song, you know, and how awesome is it to teach the kids? But here's what I want to ask the question, okay? The question that's on the table today is, if you're saved, okay, are you saved? That's a good question, right? Are you saved? That's, that's what the question everybody needs to know. Are you saved? Do you know the Lord, okay? If you're saved and you know it, is the proof in saying amen Clapping your hands and stomping your feet. (laughs) See, what we have to be very careful 
is that we teach our children and we teach everyone that there's a whole lot more to being saved and knowing it than shouting amen, clapping our hands, stomping our feet, and being able to do all three. Because it's the second half of the song that is the proof of your salvation. It goes like this. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Hmm. That's the most important part of the song. That's actually the question that we're working on today. Some have actually said this in, in, in this passage, as working on this passage, faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can always see their results. Anybody want to say amen to that? All right. Yes, we can. But that's kind of what we're talking about today. And the question James keeps asking throughout the whole book is if you say you believe like you should, then why do you behave like you shouldn't? That's the question. If you say that you're saved, then why isn't your life showing it? Is that a fair question? Are we okay to ask that question today? Good, because that's what James is asking today. The whole point is if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Now many Bible scholars, as you study this part of James, of the book of James, they will say that today's message and James 2.14 in particular is the thesis of the whole book. Everything that has been written up until this point of the book is pointing to this verse and everything that's going to be written and we're gonna work on and study after it is pointing back to it. The theme of this passage, and I think I have it on your notes. If not, you can write it down is this, real faith, and we're gonna use the word genuine, we're talking about genuine faith. Real faith produces real results. Some of your Bibles are gonna use the word deeds, some of your Bibles are gonna use the word works, works of righteousness, and if it doesn't, then you have to question if it's real. Let me read that again for you, okay? Real faith produces real results, and if it doesn't, then you have to question if it's real. That's the theme of the passage today. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Is your faith dead or alive? That's the question um, that we're gonna be working on today. And I want you to examine your faith today. All of us are gonna examine our faith today. This is not a judgment sermon. I think you, it's, it's kind of quiet, so I think you're, you're maybe bracing yourself because you're gonna get beat up today. It's not. It's an examination day today. We're gonna to examine our hearts, all of us together. So let's look at James 2.14, okay? Here we go. Jump in. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Did we read that right? Anyone else read that and, and sound like James is teaching us that works must accompany salvation for it to be true, genuine faith? 
Let's read it again. If you say you have faith, but don't show your actions, okay? So you don't have actions along with your faith, accompanying your faith, can that kind of faith save anyone? Do we have a problem here? (laughs) All right, um, maybe it's a translation. I'm using the New Living Translation. Maybe let's go to the ESV. The ESV is like maybe more more, um, solid and we can trust it better. Let's look at the ESV. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? There it is again. If you say you have faith but you don't have works, man, can that faith save him? All right. Question, has James gone off the rails on everything that we have been taught, everything I've ever preached or ever heard preached about salvation? Question, do we need works for our salvation? Are you sure? Do good deeds need to accompany our faith in order to be saved? Doesn't it sound like that here? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Doesn't it seem like he's saying good deeds need to accompany our faith in order to be saved? So is Paul lying to us? You know, Paul teaches a lot about salvation and how you come to Christ. So is Paul lying to us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 when it says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and then he stops there. And he goes on to say, this whole thing of salvation is not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. It is not of works so that no one can boast before him. So is he lying to us when he said that? Um, Is he misleading us in Titus 3, 5 when he says, we are saved not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to the works Jesus has done, and according to the mercy and grace that he shows. Is he misleading us when he talks about that? Who are we supposed to believe? Paul, and you can study Paul all day long, and in all the studies, in all the writings, Paul makes it clear, you are saved, you and I are saved by grace, through faith alone. So do we believe him, or do we believe James here, when James says faith without works can't save you. Are they enemies on this subject? Are they ba- or are they back to back? Are they on the same team or are they opposing each other? That's the question. Do you know that Martin Luther, really smart theologian. Martin Luther criticized James on this passage. In fact, um, believed for a time that James was a heretic. He was teaching heresy, and throughout the book of James, he said, I will not accept that James should be part of the canon of Scripture because he is teaching works-based salvation. Now, Martin Luther was coming out of Catholicism, and Martin Luther was, was challenging because Catholicism teaches works-based salvation. So what is happening here? Are they on the opposite side of this subject or are they on the same team? And what's what's helped me a lot as I studied this, and I think it will help you, is to use this illustration. Forgive my artistry here, okay, but this is us, okay? This represents our life, and hopefully you'll see that this is a, do you know what that is? 
It's a tree, thank you. I asked some people, does that look like a tree, you know? So that is a tree. So this represents our life. And what basically, the best way for us to understand this, I think, is to actually help me, it simplified it for me, is that Paul, when he's teaching on salvation, all of Paul's teaching is coming from being, being not saved to getting saved, all the coming up and ramping up to salvation, what is involved in salvation, what is necessary for salvation. It is grace, through faith, with this is, this is God's part. He provides grace for us. This is our part. We exercise our faith, but Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says he even gives us the faith to believe. Okay, this is grace through faith alone. So this is what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the root of salvation. You got that? Can I just write that in here? He's talking about the root of salvation. How do you come to Christ? And we come to Christ by grace, through faith, alone. James is talking to people who are already saved, and James is talking about the fruit of salvation. And so what he's going to say, and what we're gonna work on today, is Paul is saying there's got to be a root, but this is happening underneath the surface. You can't see real faith. What James is saying is if you have real, genuine faith, you're going to see fruit popping up on your tree as evidence that you have the root because you all agree that no tree would pop up fruit without root. Right? You have to have the root. So this is Paul. Paul's talking about the root. James is talking about the fruit. So when we talk about this, they are not on opposite, opposite sides of this thing. They're talking about the same thing. James is just addressing what happens after salvation. There has to be, he says, there's got to be evidence of the root because without the root, there is no fruit. And if there's no fruit, then there is no root. Hopefully that will help you as we walk down through this. Let me make it clear. Scripture is clear and scripture is together on this as you take it as a whole. See what, and that's the, the, you have to take scripture as a whole. You can't just pull one verse out and say, oh, there's what I'm going to put my foundation and my faith in. It's gotta be taken as a whole. As a whole, we are saved by grace through faith alone. But after salvation, there will be fruits of righteousness or good deeds which give evidence that there is root of salvation. One author wrote this, the faith that saves us is not alone, though we are saved by grace through faith alone. That might have messed you up even more. But I wanna make it clear. We're saved by faith in the work of Jesus Christ, not our own works. You cannot save yourself. Your works of righteousness are not righteousness before God at all. Only through the work that Jesus did can we even do anything of righteousness after our salvation. But there should be evidence, deeds of righteousness that you can see if a person is truly, genuinely saved. Fruit will pop. So let's read it again, James 2.14, with that in mind. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. Underline if you say, underline that. If you say in your Bible, okay? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Here's the first thing that we wanna look at. Real faith goes way beyond words. Real faith 
goes way beyond what you say. What good is it to talk about your faith, but when it comes down to using it, you can't produce? That's what James is asking here. It'd be like carrying a certified professional lifeguard card, and you've got it in your wallet, and you make sure everybody knows you've got this card, but the secret underneath the surface is that you don't know how to swim. How disappointing would that be? If everyone that's around you, you all go to the beach and you're hanging out at the beach and everybody knows because you've been flashing your card around that you're a certified professional lifeguard and somebody's out there having a hard time and they're saying, Phil, help me. And I scream back, I wish I could. (laughs) I don't know how to swim. I'd be like, what? What's with the card? I just like carrying it around. But I'm powerless to help you. I can't help you. Because there is no root in me. I'm just a fake. I'm a fraud. I'm a phony Christian. How disappointing is that? James says, can that kind of faith save anyone? Do you really think that you're saved? Why do you think your faith and salvation is real if it is not accompanied by good works? To prove it. Jesus actually talked about this. Look, if you want to turn to Matthew 7, 21, I think we're going to have it on the screen. Jesus actually addressed this, and he says, not everyone who, and here's the word, says to me, It's got to be a whole lot more than what you say. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. How disappointing will that be for that person? But who will? The only one who does will be the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Faith goes way beyond words. Here's the second thing. Faith gets involved. Real faith gets involved. Look at verse 15. James gives us an illustration of this when he says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? What kind of person are you if you do that kind of thing? Here's a Christian Because he's talking about brothers and sisters. You see a brother and sister. So here's a Christian in the midst of a serious, genuine problem. They have a real, serious, genuine need. And the illustration that James gives is another person who claims to be a believer. And that's what you need to understand. That's the word that claims to be. Everyone, they tell everybody that they're saved. They claim to be a believer And they observe and they recognize that there is a real need that their brother and sister has in the family of Jesus Christ. And inside of them, there isn't anything that moves them to action or to meet the need. They aren't moved by the pain. They're totally indifferent to the need. And instead of jumping in to help and physically meet the need... They give some cold, surfacely, careless pat on the head like, okay then, bye-bye. 
Be warm and fed. I hope it all works out for you. God bless you. See you later. James is saying, dead. If that's how you're going to respond to a need, then you are not alive in Christ. There is something dead inside of you. You do not have the root of salvation because there is no fruit of salvation. You okay? Are you guys okay? This means yes. I know you're in the balcony. You don't think I can see you. I can see you up there. You guys okay? They don't even want to respond. They don't think I can see them. I can see them. Are you okay? I, this is strong, but I'm not making this up. I didn't sit down and say, oh, here's a good one I can write. I'm, I'm just telling you what James is saying. Look at verse 17. So you see, he says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is, say the word with me, dead and useless. The faith you claim to have isn't real. He says it's dead if it's not accompanied by good works and good deeds. There's no fruit because there's no root. If you had root, then you would not be able to walk away because real faith gets involved. It's the same with real love. James is preaching on real faith John, in 1 John chapter 1, verse th- or chapter 3, verse 16, 1 John, sorry, 1 John 3, 16, he's speaking about real love, but he's saying the same thing. Look at it with me. I've got it on the screen. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we totally get it. We totally understand what real love is because Jesus gave his life. He showed us. He gave us an example of it. He sacrificed himself, and you have all seen that, and you're all recipients of that. So you, you know what real love is, so we ought to give ourselves up, and we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, this is the same exact thing James is talking to us about. How can God's love be in that person? What's the answer to that question? It, it can't be. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our action. Let us show that we have the true salvation, that we have the root. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. In other words, you're just an ecclesiastical windbag if you aren't physically getting involved and moved to get involved to meet the needs and to do the good deeds around you. I'm not making this up. I'm just reading it to you. Look at verse 18 of James chapter two. Now someone may argue, and they always do. They always do. Some of you may be having an argument in your head with me right now. I'm just not on the other side of it yet. It's gonna come out in your fingers in an email later on. Some may argue. Some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, James says, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? How can you show me what is below the surface without good deeds? How do I know? How does anybody know 
that what happened down here is real. It has to be shown, there has to be evidence outside here. I will show you, he says, my faith by my good deeds. The word actually means through my good deeds. I will show you my faith through my good deeds. That way, you know it's real. And you know you can trust it. And you know you can rely on me whenever you're in your time of need. Because real faith gets involved. Here's number three. Real faith is lived out loud according to verse 18. It's not hidden. It's not on display for all to see. It isn't invisible. One author wrote this. There is no such thing as a secret service Christian. (laughs) I love that. And what James is saying is that if you have real faith that you say you have, then you will live it out loud in the open. It will be visible. And some will say, Phil, I don't have to serve Jesus out loud to prove my relationship. This is a private thing between me and God. I know I have faith. James is saying, you're just fooling yourself. If you don't serve out loud and there's no proof, then you don't have it. Because, point number four, real faith is more than religion. Look at verse 19. You say you have faith because you believe that there is one God. So there are people that are like, I have faith because I believe in doctrine. Good for you, he says. Now he's being very sarcastic in this verse because he's like, good for you. Don't break your arm, patting yourself on the back. Even the demons believe that. And they tremble in fear because they know who God is. (laughs) How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? This is the person who is like, here's the proof of my faith. I believe in the one true God. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees used to go around doing. And believe me, my friends, there's a lot of innuendo as you study the book of James where he's going back to these Jewish believers who would fully understand that the Pharisees and the scribes, they would all stand and they would all make sure everyone knew, I believe in the one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James' message is good for you. And did you know, my friends, are you listening? I haven't lost you, right? There are a lot of people who who believe and serve in the one true God. There are a lot of beliefs out there that believe in other gods, okay? Put those aside. There are a ton of people in this world 
that worship at the feet and say they believe in the one true God, Jehovah, the great I am, the same God that we serve. And it doesn't mean they're saved because they say they believe. James' point is, good for you. But the demons believe that. Are the demons saved? Answer the question. No, they're not. In fact, they believe it so much that they tremble. It's like Mufasa. Oh, you know, they hear Jehovah. They know who God is. And they tremble in fear at the thought of him. It doesn't make them believers. And there are people out in the world, and there are people in the church of Jesus Christ, in the family, that they think they're saved because they believe in who God is. But you will, not, you will not be saved because you believe in who God is. You're only saved if you believe in Jesus Christ, his son, and the fact that he came to this earth and you're in such a need because of your sin and you're dying in your sin that you need a savior and you put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ and relying on him for salvation, and you repent of your sin before him, that brings true salvation, not just declaring that there is one true God. In fact, James says, how foolish is that? If that's what you think, if that's what you're trusting in to get to heaven, you're in big trouble. That does not bring salvation. That is not proof of your salvation. It's much more than religion. Jesus actually talked about this when he was dealing with the scribes and Pharisees. I think I have time for this. There's a little side thing in my head that I can't prove. But because James is, he's got so much, he's talking and referring back to the Pharisees and the scribes and what these Jewish believers would have been fully aware of because they sat underneath the teaching. They were Jews. And this is all new teaching because the, the works going along with it would, would have been something foreign to them. I actually, I'm not sure that James isn't a little sarcastic with good for you, even the demons believe. And he was referring back to even the Sadducees and the scribes believe that and tremble before the Lord. Can't prove that he was calling them demons, but maybe he was just in his sarcasm referring back. I, I probably would have done something like that. But listen to what Jesus said about the scribes and Pharisees. And I'm reading from Matthew 23. It's not going to be on the screen. You can go there if you want. Matthew 23, verse 7. I'm going to kind of jump through the chapter and this thing that Jesus declares before the people. It's possible, my friends, that the people that James is writing to, because they're first century Christians, right? They're the, the beginning of the church. It's possible that some of those believers were actually sitting here in this place when Jesus actually said this and, ha and sat underneath this teaching of Jesus when he said in verse two of Matthew 23, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, and he's saying this to this big crowd, I'm not talking to the Pharisees, they're there, <laughs> But the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses, he said. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. Listen to this. But don't follow their example. They don't practice what they teach. They're religious, but they're not true believers is what he's saying here. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. See, they're not serving. Everything they do is for show. 
On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head of tables at banquets and in the seat of honor in the synagogues. Let me just stop right there. That's what James was talking about when we were talking about favoritism in the church, and when he was referencing the people that want to come in, the rich people that want to come in and have the special place of honor, he was talking about this right here that Jesus is addressing. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk through the marketplace and to be called, Rabbi, hear me, Jesus says. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What sorrow awaits you teachers and religious lawmakers and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb garden, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faith. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first, wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Jesus is addressing this whole thing that James is addressing. Martin Luther himself wrote this. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing, is worth nothing. The guy who criticized James for his teaching is cementing everything that James is teaching. Verse 26 of James 2 says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Good deeds are the breath in the lungs of faith. Without it, there's no life. Our good deeds are the proof, the evidence that our faith is alive. The way we're going to wrap this up today, because frankly, I don't know how to end, I don't know how to end this. I want you to hear me loud and clear. And we're going to get ready to go to communion um, right now. And we're going to examine our hearts. My goal today, James' goal today, is not to get you or try to get you unsaved or to get you to doubt your salvation. You with me on that? But the goal is, James' goal is, examine your salvation. And you have a problem with your salvation if you are a Christian only in words, if you are a Christian only in what you believe in your mind, because if your salvation is real, it will come down through your heart, into your life, and through you with good deeds. You won't be able to help it 
It's also not the point of James to deal with the fact that we fall sometimes. And so if you fall and you go from a period of time where you're not serving Jesus because you're serving yourself and you're diving into sin, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It could be you never had it if you like do a prolonged thing of that. But the good news about God is that if you fail, all you have to do is repent. You hear the truth, the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you. You repent of those things and you turn from them and you move on in righteousness. But it may be true that someone sitting here listening, someone sitting in the loft listening, someone sitting at home watching this and listening, Somewhere in your heart, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today and challenging you and saying, you say you believe, but there's no evidence of it. And if that's happening, then he's calling you out. He's calling you to salvation today. The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation for you. You can be saved and know it. And then your life will surely show it because you're saved and you know it. The call to you is, as you examine yourself is, do you really know the Lord? There's no shame. Please, listen, there's no shame in admitting that. I grew up in a home where I was told I was saved at five years old. And I doubted my salvation and I put it off for years because I was ashamed. I was like, I can't tell him, I don't, I'm always questioning my salvation, always doubting my salvation. And at age 14, the Holy Spirit came in like a truck and hit me right between the eyes. And I said, that's it. I'm getting this thing dealt with. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if they shame me. No, you were saved and you were a kid. No, I was not. I need to be saved and, and saved right now. And I just gave my heart to Jesus at 14 years old and have never looked back. So it's good for us to examine ourselves. In fact, Paul tells us at a time of communion, when we remember what the Lord has done for us in shedding his blood for us for our sins so that we can be forgiven for sacrificing his life on the cross for us and then rising from the dead, all of that was done for us because we needed that grace in order to be saved. But Paul says during that time, you need to examine your heart because it's a sin to participate in this in an unworthy manner, in a way where there's sin, unconfessed sin in your heart that you need to give to the Lord. Now's a good time to do that. It's also a good time to just get saved. And I would love to help you with that. So we're gonna go and examine. The praise team's going to sing over us. About midway through the song, I'm going to come back and we'll participate together. So hopefully you have your communion elements and those of you who are at home have yours and we'll participate together. But God bless you as you examine your hearts before the Lord.
is our living hope. One of the lyrics of that song went like this, the one came from heaven and he became the sacrifice for us. Purchased our redemption by his shed blood. Offered his body as a sacrifice for us. And that's what we remember. we remember to live. You know, we're saved, we said, we're saved by grace through faith. One pastor challenged me many years ago, Phil, live in such a way that you don't waste God's grace. He did all that for us so that we can be saved, but then so that we can go out with the light of life with all of our good deeds because of the salvation that we have and share that with everybody else. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he took the bread 
And he said, you're gonna eat this in just a minute, but when you do, I want you to remember that this is my body that was broken for you. And we have been challenged to remember the Lord's body until he comes. So let's remember the Lord as we eat together. then he took the cup and he held it up and he blessed it and he said this represents a new thing a new covenant because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin so uh, this represents my shed blood for you that purchased your redemption that made it available for you And we are told until Jesus comes back that we are to remember him as we drink all that he has done to make a way for salvation for us. Let's drink together. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you. And I know that all my brothers and sisters who truly understand salvation that are with me right now, they're agreeing with me when I say how thankful we are that salvation isn't dependent upon our ability to be good. But that you, the spotless lamb of God, who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in you. We're just so thankful for that, that you made a way for us. I pray that you will see in us a dedication to live in a way that does not waste your sacrifice and does not waste that grace. We ask for strength to be able to do that. Lord Jesus, in your precious name we pray. Amen. I just feel like we need to sing some more. So let's go out singing this hallelujah. No, no, no. Elena will take it away from here because she knows the song better than I do. But come on, let's lift our voices. The, the redeemed of the Lord say so. So let's just lift our voices in praise as we go to
Praise the Lord. Hey, my friends, God bless you as you go. Let's go out and live out loud, okay? Let's go out and live what we say. Let's go out and live in the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and let's just let our fruit abound in righteousness before him. As always, as always, we have prayer team members down here to pray over any need you have. And if you need salvation today, you want to make sure you know the Lord, we'd love to spend time helping you with that, all right? This is Communion Sunday. Every Communion Sunday, the guys are at the doors to receive an offering for our fellowship fund. And that is our benevolent fund for those in our congregation that have specific needs, physical needs that we can help with. This is your way to help with that, um, that we can take care of them. So any of the offering, like the, the loose cash today um, at the doors will go towards that. You can also deposit your other um, tithes and offerings there also, but the loose cash will go towards that. God bless you as you go. We love you. Uh, take the love of the Lord with you as you go out. God bless.